Hey friends, Pastor Andrew here. Thanks for taking the time to listen in on our sermons here at Asheville First Church of the Nazarene. We post these even though they were preached in a specific time at a specific place to a certain community of people, hoping that God still might use them to speak to you wherever you are. If you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Romans chapter 14. We're going to look at actually 14 and a little bit of 15. Uh, not the whole of both chapters. This will be our last week in the book of Romans. And, and so we, we've hit many of the highlights over the past, I'd say, six or eight weeks. And uh, next week we're going to start a new series on Sabbath and the Sabbath laws. And so uh, that'll be a good time. I've really enjoyed this time in Romans, and I hope you have as well. And this is a fitting conclusion to our time. So we're in chapter 14, we're going to look at verses 1 through 17. And then in chapter 15, we're just going to look at the three, first three verses, um, chapter 15. If you don't have your Bible with you, uh, you can follow along on the screen. Paul writes, Welcome those who are weak in faith, but not for the purpose of quarreling over opinions. Some believe in eating anything, while the weak only eat vegetables. Those who eat must not despise those who abstain, and those who abstain must not pass judgment on those who eat, for God has welcomed them. Who are you to pass judgments on the servants of another? It is before their own Lord that they stand or fall, and they will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Some judge one day to be better than the other while others judge all days to be alike. Let all be fully convinced in their own minds. Those who observe the day, observe it in honor of the Lord. And also those who eat, eat in honor of the Lord, since they give thanks to God, while those who abstain, abstain in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. We do not live to ourselves, and we do not die to ourselves. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, so that he might be Lord of both the living and the dead. Why do you pass judgment on your brother or sister? Or why do you despise your brother or sister? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then, each of us will be accountable to God. Let us therefore no longer pass judgment on one another, but resolve instead never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of another. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. If your brother or sister is being injured by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Do not let what you eat cause the ruin of one for whom Christ died. So do not let your good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not food and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Chapter 15. We who are strong ought to put up with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. 
Each of us must please our neighbor for the good purpose of building up the neighbor. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Brett Kavanaugh, climate change, global warming, illegal immigrant, undocumented immigrant, gay marriage, LGBTQIA, vaccines, AR-15s, gun control, Medicare or Medicare for all, Russia, Iran, North Korea, organic or McDonald's, Tom Brady's either the best quarterback in the world or he's the best cheater in the world. I think that about covers it. We could be here all day. There are plenty of divisive topics in our world today. The list could go on and on. It's no secret. It's no news to you that we live in a very divided time, in a very divided culture, in a very divided world. If that list didn't make you feel a little uncomfortable or perk up, then you're living on a different planet, right? You must have your head in the sand. It's not any news to us. My uh, brother was just spending some time in Portland, uh, Oregon, and uh, he was telling me about it. I said, oh, you're having a good time. They're, they're staying in an RV traveling around. He's like, yeah, man, but it's crazy. <laughs> he said, there was three different rallies in Portland last Saturday, or I, this was a week or two ago. And, and he says, there's this group called the, the Proud Boys, and it's a, it's a far-right group, and you know, I guess they think guys have been having a hard time. And, and so they rallied, and, and they're on the, the far right of the spectrum, and then there's the Antifa, and they're the far left of the spectrum, and they think they're going to beat everybody up and to be nice or something. They believe in violence, and so they're on the far left. They're going at it and, you know, crossing over. And then he said, in the middle of all that, there was a bike ride. 10,000 people went on this bike ride, except it was a nude bike ride through town, right? So left, right, or nude, you know, you just kind of, that, that kind of sums up the state of the, the world these days, right? You just never know what you're going to see going down the road. It's, it's not news to us that we do live in such a divided time. I don't like to be an alarmist. I, I don't think, I think it's unwise when you study history, you realize that plenty of periods during history have been just as divided or more divided and, and, and cantankerous. And, and so I don't like to be an alarmist. In fact, we're looking at a major division here in Scripture over 2,000 years ago, even within the church. But I think what we're seeing happening, what's different now is even just beyond 30 years ago, 40 years ago, you would really get your ideas and your opinions, you'd, you'd work with the people you lived around, and especially if you go back 100 years ago, is your community, right? You were talking to people. You were sharing ideas. You were talking about different things. And, but now, with the rise of technology, and this, we live in the information age, I don't have to talk to people to get ideas or information. I can sit at home on my computer and I can look, f figure out whatever I want. And what happens ironically is then we do, and you've heard about this, we, we create our own bubble that we live in. We only hear what we want to hear, right? Uh, and then we are disconnected from the world and what we're hearing. 
And so if I think garden gnomes and plastic flamingos are a work of the devil, I can go on the internet and find 5,000 people that agree with me, and we're going to create a group that we need to destroy all the garden gnomes in the world, right? And I guarantee you there's probably at least 5,000 people in the world that think that. And you can find it, you can start your own Facebook group, right? Um, that's what we're talking, that's what I'm talking about. I think that's what's created this, this seemingly polarized more culture because we don't have to be in community. And the real problem is, and say, you know, we don't need to hear about it at church too, and I'd say you're right, except the church was pretty much bought into this plan. Instead of the church being the place where we say we're not going to play that division game, often the church at times is the place where we're just dividing along the same lines as the world does. And that's a problem. In fact, I think this is, I was thinking about it this week, I think it's so connected to why we see are seeing such a decline in church attendance because people don't want to gather anymore in a group of people that may not have the same ideas. They may not see everything eye to eye, right? I think that's part of the problem in the world today. We, could, we live in these information bubbles, and now we have a hard time getting around people that might be a little bit different than us, may not see things exactly like I do, right? And so we polarize and we keep on breaking off into smaller groups of people that only think like me and see like me because that's what I'm used to. And so I think it's hard to come together in a church where I might be told something, hopefully I'm told something that doesn't necessarily line up with what I believe all the time, or I'm challenged, or I'm around people that might think differently within me that I'm still in the body of Christ. And so I hear things that people say, well, I'd rather just stay at home and turn on TV preacher, right? Why? Because if I don't like the TV preacher, I can just flip the channel. Or I can find the person, I like what they're saying on some internet YouTube thing. Instead of coming and being a part of the body of Christ physically, we'd just rather not mess with it. We'd rather, in fact, I was talking to somebody just yesterday about it. Oh, I don't need church. I got it all right here. And I was just saying, well, you know how I feel about it. I'm a preacher. I'd like to tell you different. Oh, I know you would. That's your job, you know. It's just, I, I think the two are connected. I think people have a real hard time getting it together with people because they might be challenged. We may not see together. This is the culture of division. Now, you might say, well, pastor, you're, you're part of the Church of the Nazarene. The Church of the Nazarene is only 100 years old. You guys have split off, and I get it. There are times within our lives uh, and within the church that we sometimes, in love, need to go our own separate ways and say, I'm going to serve the Lord over here. You need to serve the Lord over here. But at a certain point, that's got to stop, right? At a certain point, it, then it just becomes, if it keeps on going to the nth degree, it's just the church of Andrew Kremitz, right? I tell people this all the time when you get in debates, especially in church, you go to district assemblies and different things, and, it's, and it says, you know what? What it means to be part of a community of faith means I don't get my way all the time, right? I remember I, I went to Trevecca Nazarene University, and the name Millard Reed may not mean much to any of us, but he was an incredible leader in the church in Nazarene. In fact, the school of theology at Trevecca is named after him. And when I got to Trevecca, he was older in years. He'd retired, but he would still come in the cafeteria and have lunch with us. And I remember, I and mean, this, this was like, oh, man, Millard Reed, this, this is one of the big shots, right? And I remember him telling me cafeteria, and he's like, Oh, yeah, they used to 
They used to grill me at all those ordination meetings saying, do you agree with 100% of the church in Nazarene? I used to tell them, no, I agree with 90% of it. He says, there's 10% I don't agree. And I was like, hey, I was a freshman in college. I was like, whoa, Millard Reed doesn't agree with 100%, right? I'm here to tell you folks, you know, uh, th there's things in the manual, if it was the Church of Andrew Crimmins, I would probably change. Uh, in fact, you know, you know how much I love our district superintendent. There's things I know I disagree with with our district superintendent. But I, I still believe he is an incredible leader and, and God's ordained leader of our district. And I believe in him more than I, I just respect the snot out of him. I, I love him dearly, right? And he's that type of leader that he doesn't, we can differ and, and love one another. And so I just want to have a caveat to say, I know sometimes we need to work separately, right? But too much now, this culture division is infiltrating the church and ultimately will destroy the commitment to the church if we let it go unchecked. And this morning in, in Romans chapter 14, even as the close, Paul's now getting to the nitty gritty to those who are in the church at Rome. And I know a lot of us want to say, uh, Pastor, this is different though. That's, that's easy stuff. It's so easy to look at the divisions and the problems of past history and say, oh, that's nothing compared to what it is today. You don't know, you, you don't live there. So let's look at the text and we'll see this probably wasn't nothing as sometimes we treat it like. Uh, so we'll see what's really going on. So in chapter 14, we immediately see that Paul has an opinion on this because he names the two camps, the weak and the strong. Did you notice that? And what he's, that's pejorative. He's saying one's, one's a weak group. One's a strong group. Now, if you, if, if, you know, pastor says there's a weak group over here and a strong group over here, you want to be in the strong group, right? Strong in faith. I don't want to be weak in the faith. He already has an opinion. We, we see that very clearly. But he opens up with saying, hey, you who are, well, let me, let me keep going on. What we see in the weak is that in verse 2, that they are people who only eat vegetables. Now, we know that's the healthy way to be. This was not based on, oh, my cholesterol is getting too high. I need to cut out red meats, right? Uh, this is something entirely else. And we've talked about this a little bit in the past. Let me just refresh our memory. One of the things that this was a big deal was because uh, you couldn't always find kosher meats. And what that means is in the law, you had to process meat a certain way or Jews couldn't eat it, right? And so they couldn't always find kosher meats. And so they're saying, hey, if you, if you can't find it, processed correctly, then you shouldn't be eating it and different things like that. Dietary restrictions. Also, they're talking about, uh, you, you just, in the, in the Bible, it says don't eat pork, basically, and a few other things, right? And so that's what we're talking about. Hey, there's certain things that in the Old Testament, the Bible clearly says don't eat. And that's the wheat group, right? Because they say, now we're just going to only eat vegetables. And the strong group, Paul argues this, now we don't have to follow that because Christ has set us free from the law and that, and that we have freedom in Christ and that's what the strong group we know Paul believes in. But there's actually a, a little bit deeper issue. He say, oh, that's easy. I, I agree with Paul, right? You know, Actually, that's a major issue. That has stakes in the gospel. The deeper issue is that if you live in Rome during this time and you go to the market to buy some meat, most of the meat that you would encounter, and really you wouldn't know most of the meat you would encounter had been when it was butchered. It was actually sacrificed to a Greek or a Roman or a pagan god. Most of the meat you found in the marketplace um, 
had been sacrificed. So what, what that means is when we think of sacrifice, often we think of, well, you put the entire lamb on the altar and you, you, you know, kill the lamb and the whole thing's burnt up or the whole thing's going on. Really, that wasn't the case. And this is how the, the priests lived, was you would sacrifice a, a portion of it, usually a pretty small portion, and then the rest would either be eaten by the family or the priests or, or now and, and pagan cultures even sold. Does that make sense? And so you're actually just sacrificing, giving over a portion of the meat. And so the real sticky issue, and we see this some in the book in First and Second Corinthians, was that, and this is the wheat group, saying, I don't want to eat meat that's been sacrificed to Zeus or, or Martis or Baal or whoever, right? And, and Paul elsewhere makes the argument, we know, well, we don't know they're not God, so we have freedom to meet it. I hope we can see how serious and how many of us would say, you know, Boy, I really love that Hindu butcher. I, I, you know, they sacrificed it all to all those gods, but I don't care, right? Not many of us would probably be lining up to eat meat sacrificed to another god. And that's what we're really talking about here. I mean, today, some people, if, if the owner of the restaurant doesn't have your same political views, they don't even want you to eat there, let alone sacrificing to Baal. So this was a major issue a faith that Paul's dealing with. Not only that, and some were saying, well, we need to keep the old days, we need to keep the holidays, and we're not sure what's meaning by that. Um, in fact, they might be even talking about Sabbath observance. Um, it's not quite clear. These cut to the issue of how, what it means to be a Christian, what it means, what Christ did for us. And Paul has an opinion. At one point he says, I'm convinced, I know what the Lord's told me. And you would think if he was a leader today, if he, if he felt that strongly about it, he'd write a big opinion piece why we need to get all those weak people of faith out of the church. They're contaminating the church. They're going to bring down the church. Get them out of here. They've diluted the gospel. They don't know what Jesus is about. What does Paul say? He says, you who are strong in the faith, welcome those who are weak in the faith. Right? The, word, the Greek word there for welcome doesn't mean, hey, okay, nice to see you at church. All right, let's go sit down. It means welcome them into your home. Welcome them into your friendship circle. Embrace them as a brother and sister in Christ. That's a very strong welcome. He tells the people that are strong in faith, do not despise those who are weak in the faith. Don't despise them. Oh, they're just wusses. Oh, they don't get it, right? Don't despise them. He tells those who are weak in the faith, you know, and we, we could put, let's just put today's labels on it, conservative and liberal. The liberals in this context were those who wanted to eat anything, and the conservatives said, no, we better be careful, and we don't want to eat food sacrificed to gods, right? If you want to put labels on it. And he says to the weak faith group, don't judge the strong group for what they eat. Don't judge them, right? And by doing so, you, you'll be doing wrong. Don't judge them for what God has given them. And this really is, here's the correct, for the rest of chapter 14, this is what Paul's argument is going to be. You can't, one servant can't judge another servant. Only the servant's master or Lord can do that. And so when I look at somebody and I say, oh, you're doing wrong, you're messing up, uh, I can't believe you're doing that, that's, you're, you're, oh, oh, you got it so messed up. If they say they're serving the Lord, and I'm judging them, then I am doing wrong. It's like one servant judging 
another servant. We have no right to do that. Paul's strong in the instance that we as Christians, all of us will answer to Christ. We all will stand before God. That is who our true master and Lord is. And no matter how long we've been a Christian, we all will stand accountable to Christ. So we don't have the right to judge in the least, even when there's deep divisions, even when there's strong convictions like that. We cannot judge, say one way or the other. We don't know it all. We're not God. We're not Christ. That's only Christ's role, right? And we actually see some of the most poetic and beautiful language here that Paul talks about. We love to quote it, and we don't quote where it's found, right? And so Paul says, you know, if I live, I live to the Lord. If I die, I die to the Lord. So whether I live or I die, Lord, my Lord, right? It's beautiful. We love it. What he's talking about there is, is I'm owned by Jesus Christ. He's my master. And so you can't judge me, and I can't judge you, and I can't despise you because you are a beloved child of God who Christ died for, right? And so this is Paul's argument that we have no place to judge one another, even though the weak and the strong seem to be doing that pretty well. We don't live, we don't own ourselves. We are the Christ ownership. But his second point here, if you notice that, the second point later in the chapter says, hey, also, you need to be careful that you're not putting a stumbling block in front of people. That's a phrase we don't really use anymore, stumbling block too much. Maybe it's church language. What he's really saying is don't trip up another person in faith. Don't, don't call, have any cause for them to be pushed away from Christ or for, distance themselves from the church. Don't trip them up. Basically, he's saying, don't let this division between what you can eat or not eat come between you and really the important thing. And he says, if your brother or sister is injured by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Do not let what you eat cause the ruin for one whom Christ died. And here we're getting to the, the bigger questions, right? We're getting to the, here to the point of, you, you might be right. And Paul, that's what he opens up. He says, I know I'm right, right? I'm, I'm convinced in Jesus Christ that nothing's unclean. But he said, that doesn't really matter. What matters is that I'm walking in love in relationship to my brother or sister. You can be right all day long and be ultimately wrong in how you're living. Amen? Right? There's going to be a lot of people separated from God in the end. There's going to be a lot of people in hell that were right about a number of things, but they were wrong where it counted most. That's what Paul is saying here. Don't put a stumbling block in front of somebody to trip them up because if you're injuring them by your opinions on things, if you're causing them to trip up, if you're pushing them away from Christ, if you're in just offending, if you're causing them... You are not walking in love. And walking in love is what it's all about in the community of faith. In fact, he goes on to say, he says, the kingdom isn't made up of what you eat or drink. It, the kingdom isn't made up on your opinions or what you're convinced about. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the spirit, he writes. That's what the kingdom of God is made up on. 
So basically, he's saying, don't get it twisted. So many times we get to focus on our division. So many times we focus on what we're convinced of and how we're right, and yet that is the wrong thing to focus on. That is not what the kingdom of God is about. And so in chapter 15, he, he, he brings up his third line of thinking of why not to give in to this division for the church in Rome. And this is perhaps the most powerful line of thinking for me convincing me. And he basically says, the goal here is not to please yourself. Your Christian walk and what your duty is, is to please and build up your neighbor. Right? Why? Because that's what Christ did. Christ came to the world not to please himself, but to save us, to build us up, to bring us back. He came to give of himself and to serve all. That's what Christ did. And this is what Paul's using. We talk about this a lot in this church is if you want to know how to act, think about how has God treated me? And that's how you treat others. And that's what Paul's saying here. Christ came not to please himself. He came to please me ultimately. He, he came to serve me and bring me back into the family. So that's how we, I love how Paul brings us up because what 99.9% .9 of these discussions and arguments and divisions are all about is pleasing ourselves, if we're honest, that I can be right or my team can win, right? We don't get in these arguments and divisions to please the other, to benefit the other. It's all about us, and that's what he's pointing to, to both the weak camp and the strong camp. He's saying, don't please yourself in these arguments. That's not what it's about. What the Christian life is about is serving and building up our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that is our calling this morning. We've been talking about in the last few weeks that Romans chapter 12 was a major break in Romans. And so we talked about what Christ has done on our behalf, and now we respond of what it means to not only accept Christ, what it means not only to give everything over to Christ, but now we are called to be sanctified, to, to place our lives on the altar as a living sacrifice to God. And we've talked about what it means for that to happen is our minds change. He says, let's be transformed by the renewing of your minds, right? And so we've been really talking about our minds have to change in how we see things, how I see myself, others, and the world. That's what sanctification really does in us, how we see the world differently. And Paul here in chapter 15 is really getting to, to the heart of that and the heart of the problem in these divisions and what it means to be a sanctified person living in the world today, that our mind has changed, that we're no longer thinking like the world does, thinking, well, I want to be right. I want to win. I want to prove my point. Paul says that's not what a renewed mind thinks. A renewed mind sees a brother and sister and says, I want to build you up. I want to draw you closer to Christ. I want to encourage you today. I want to bless you today. I want, I want us to leave this encounter feeling good and hopeful and peaceful and joyful, right? That's my mindset. That's how I see the world. I don't see the world as an opportunity to please Andrew Crimmins or for Andrew Crimmins to be right. And that's the renewed mind that we receive through the Holy Spirit's work in us. 
And Paul says that's the mind of Christ. That's what Christ did for us, and now we do for others. And so let me ask you this morning, what mindset are you in? I know there, there's an nth number of things we could disagree on, right? And I'm not preaching this because we have trouble in this in church. In fact, I'm really proud of our church. Uh, we do very well in this. And so I want to encourage you. We, we really are. You know, Judy tells me every day how wrong I am, but we still love each other, right? <laughs> You're going on vacation. You can take it, right? Yeah. Just, uh, no. The whole week without me, amen, right? No, I, 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 I'm being facetious, but there, there's many, you know, I think people look and say, boy, how can a, you know, you got, I'm sure someone has told you, you got a 32-year-old millennial as your pastor? Ugh. What does he do, lay at home all day, you know? Oh, don't give in to generational division two, that's stupid. Um, but it, it's true, in our culture today, this probably wouldn't work, right? But we know we're not in the absence of the Spirit. We have the Spirit drawing us together. So we do this well. I'm not, I'm not trying to give us a hard time. I'm really trying to insulate us from the problems that are happening in our world. But I know this plagues many of our families, right? This plagues many friendships. This plagues the world that we step out in when we walk out their doors. And so I just want to ask us this morning, what's our mindset? Are you growing in grace? And so that when you encounter division, you don't say, oh, let me get out my book and see what I believe on that issue. I'm going to tell them, right? Or do you say, you know what? How do I build this person up? How do I treat them as Christ has treated me, right? And I know sometimes it's hard. If you catch me on a bad day, I might tell you what I really think. <laughs> but that's the Spirit's work in us, teaching us how to love and to serve, even when it's difficult, even when there's differences. And I like how Paul doesn't say, hey, you guys all gotta believe the same thing real quick. Make sure everybody gets on the same page. No. I love how Paul's saying it. He's really defending what we believe as Protestants, that we ha have personal convictions, and it's between ultimately me and Christ, and I'll answer to Christ for all those convictions and the way I live that out. And we all won't see it the same. That's not what it means to be the church, that we're monolithic and that, you know, you no, you have the freedom of conscience of what the Spirit leads you to. And Paul's saying, that's great. He says, then if you believe it's unclean to eat, it is unclean for you, and don't touch it, Right? And so he's saying, we don't, the Spirit's work in us, this is the thing, sanctification isn't that me and Sandy have to agree on everything. No, that's not the Spirit's work. The Spirit's work is that Sandy and I can be in a loving, peaceful, joyful relationship as a brother and sister in Christ, and we don't have to agree on everything, right? Sandy, I'm sorry, I'm picking on you this morning. She's a, she's a good friend of mine, so she, she can take it too. So, careful, people are going to be moving to the back. But you know what? I can walk back here just as easily as I can up there. So, Ron, you better be careful, right? You know, I'm sure there's things Ron and I don't agree, agree on eye to eye, right? But that's not the Spirit's work in us that we see everything the same. The Spirit's work in us is that we can come together and what? Serve the Lord together. 
that we can worship Christ together, that we can live a loving, holy, peaceful life together, and that's what the kingdom is about. And I have to look around the church and say, boy, I think we're struggling doing that. I think we're missing the point because we're missing what we Nazarenes call Christ-like life. And that our mindset has to change. If our mindset changes, if we allow the Spirit to work in us, then we can, across major divisions, live in harmony and peace, serving Christ together. So let me ask you, have you had that encounter with Christ? If you haven't had that encounter with Christ, boy, you won't know what it's like to live as Christ lived, right? If we haven't encountered Christ, if we haven't encountered that love and that kindness and that grace and that mercy, then you won't be able to do it, right? So I'd ask you to encounter Christ this morning. And if you have encountered Christ, are you growing more like him? Is your mind being changed and renewed? And if you're struggling with that, pause, stop, pray, Reach out to God and say, God, forgive me for the times I buy into these divisions. Forgive me for the times I harm people. I want your spirit to change my mind and who I am into the image of Christ. And he'll do it. He will work in you in powerful ways. And before you know it, you'll be healing divisions. You'll be drawing people into the love of Christ. And people will say, there's something different about you. So what's your mindset? this morning. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your kindness and your love in our lives. Lord, that you did come into the world and you didn't seek to please yourself. You didn't seek uh, to be served, but you came to serve everyone. You came to give your life to rescue and redeem us. And so I pray we would take that sacrifice seriously, not just that sacrifice for, for myself, but the sacrifice for my brother or sister. And would you show us in these moments what it means to follow you, to be your disciple, to be your holy servant, a living sacrifice. And may your spirit work in us and speak to us in these moments. May Christ be present in this time of communion and prayer. And may we respond and obey what you would have us to do. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. As our servers come down and we prepare for a time of communion and prayer, in our church, this is just our time of response. This is our time where we respond to the word and, and we just open our hearts to say, Holy Spirit, what would you have for me today from this message and from the scripture? And for some of us, we may not need to have that encounter with Christ. And in fact, though, what we believe in communion is in the act of communion, we all, if, if we so choose, are encountering the grace of Jesus Christ. When we take of the bread and drink of the cup, we believe we are encountering the grace of God through Jesus Christ. You don't have to be a member of our church to partake in communion. All that we ask is you make a decision to follow Christ, to give your life over to him, and the grace of God is yours. I'd also invite you to take this time and, and, you know, while people are waiting in line, while you're waiting, this is a time of prayer. So I'd, I'd invite you to come pray at an altar before or after you've taken communion. You can pray in your seat and allow God to search you and allow to put that mindset of Christ in you.
But as I was just praying a second ago, it reminded me as, as we come down in communion, and, and I always say, you know, we always talk about focusing on what Christ did for us, that now we go live Christ-like lives. You know what the, what's neat about coming down for communion as a church? I want you to think about Christ didn't just die for you. Christ didn't just come to build you up. He came and died for my brothers and sisters in this room. He came and died for everyone. And that's what Paul says to us this morning. How to love someone and build them up because Christ died for them as well. So maybe when you're standing in line, look around the room and realize Christ died for us all. That his love and grace is worth it to you and me. And how are we going to live in that revelation? On the night our Lord was betrayed, after giving thanks, he broke the bread and said, this is my body broken for you. Take, eat, whenever you do, in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood shed for you. Take, drink, whenever you do, in remembrance of me. When you are ready, come receive the grace of Christ and allow his kindness to fill your mind and heart. Let's continue in a time of prayer. Heavenly Father, we are forever in your debt for your love and your mercy and your grace in our life and your kindness. The kindness that seen so clearly on the cross of Calvary, that your love poured out to redeem us and to reconcile us to yourself, Lord. And so I pray that that realization, the weight of that grace, the weight of that debt will always be on our minds. And so that when we go out in the world, Lord, that we seek to live out of that grace and that love and that mercy to everyone we meet, even when we're tired or frustrated or scared or nervous, would your spirit be strong in our lives? May we allow your spirit to have control in us so that we might be a living sacrifice for you at all times, that people might see a different kind of person, a holy person, when they see us. Lord, would you help our church and, and us as individuals be overcomers of division. Lord, we mean, may we not fan the flames of division, but seek to bring reconciliation and peace, and not just in the big worldwide or, or political divisions, Lord, but the divisions in our own families, the divisions in our workplaces, the divisions between friends, especially if there are any divisions in the church, Heavenly Father. May we be the first to run towards peace and kindness and graciousness and building one another up. May we be agents of reconciliation in our families, Lord. May we bring healing in our communities. May we show the love of Christ can cover, overcome all. That there's no problem, there's no issue, that there's no difficulty, there's no burden, that the love of Christ cannot overcome. And so may we trust in that, Lord. And may your spirit empower us to show that love, to live into that love, and to build one another up. Lord, for those who are carrying a heavy burden today, for those that are carrying a physical burden, we pray, think of all those that are 
uh, homesick right now or, or those that are dealing with diagnoses uh, that they're concerned about. We think of Derek's father. Uh, they're down in Georgia right now with him. We pray that you would bring healing in his life and comfort. And, and uh, would you just strengthen his heart and encourage him at this stage of life and bring the family together in love, we pray. We lift up Rebecca's father who's going to go undergo radiation treatments this week for his prostate cancer. We pray that that would be completely successful and may your hand remove all the cancer from his body. Uh, We know there's many others, Lord, uh, that are struggling with physical ailments. We we think of our sister Carolyn Griffey and and the fall that she had last week and pray that you would strengthen her and her legs and and give her peace. Lord, we think of the Bailey family and and Brother Floyd and, and Sharon and the other Uh, brothers and sisters in the family that are missing their wife or mother or sister today in Sue Bailey. Would you bring comfort in their lives? Encourage them, Lord. And may tomorrow be uh, both a time of mourning but also celebration and remembering her faithfulness and celebration that she's with you now. We thank you for Sue and what she's meant to this church all these years, Lord. And we just pray that you would raise up many of us in her footsteps to serve as faithfully as she did, Lord. Um, bless all those that will be serving tomorrow, we ask. Lord, for those that are carrying a heavy emotional burden or, or for a family member, loved one, Lord, uh, we pray that you would work in all these situations. We think of uh, Kathy Horvath. Would you strengthen her and encourage her, Lord? And would you just give wisdom to her? We pray for others that... Um, might have family members that they're separated from and divided from or friends, Lord. May you just bring reconciliation and peace in those situations. Lord, we lift up our our church family over over the District of North Carolina and we think of our our spiritual leader, Greg Mason. Would you bless him and encourage him, give him wisdom and grace in all that he does, Lord, and and, uh, just bless him for his wonderful leadership here on our district. And Lord, we lift up the wider church family to you, all those people that are laying it all on the line around the world for the sake of the gospel, for those missionaries, for those persecuted Christians who are suffering this morning, um, for all those that proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord, would you, may you build up your church and strengthen your people, Lord. May we be a part of that. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done for us. May we continually give back. May we continually follow Christ. And everything that we do as a church, bless our ministries, bless our ministry outreach, Lord. May people know the love of Christ and come to trust in the love of Christ through what we do here at this church. We love you, Heavenly Father. Would you help us to pray that prayer you taught us, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Church family, would you stand with me? Well, I can probably say for certain this is one sermon you're going to be able to try out this week. No matter if you're running into two people or 20 people you'll have the opportunity, you'll be presented with difficulty and division. And may the Spirit of Christ so fill your heart and your mind that people see something different in you. May you show and exemplify the love of Christ that can overcome all.
And may people be drawn to that in you this week. Thanks for listening in today. I hope God continues to speak to you in the days to come and that you find whatever is the next step for you in your life. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website at ashnaz.org or feel free to stop by the church anytime. We'd love to see you. God bless.